Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Dan Pink, the author of multiple New York Times bestsellers, including To Sell as Human and the book that is the subject of this conversation, When, The Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing. Now, this episode was originally recorded in October of 2018, but you know, it contained so much value for the listener that I wanted to bring it up our archives and share it with you again. So, Join us today as Dan explains that how success in sales is not just about how you sell or what you sell. In fact, as you learn in a conversation today, it's also about when you sell. Timing is a science and it can make a difference at what time during the day you undertake to do certain tasks like making calls or writing a proposal. You know, we all have intuition about whether we work better in the morning or the night. And as Dan and I get into it in our conversation today, we now have science, not intuition, to help us make timing decisions based on evidence, data, and facts. So Dan lays out the aspects of timing and what research in social psychology and biology reveal about your best times, your best times to prospect, to sell, to analyze data, to provide insights, because your cognitive abilities vary over the course of a day. And as Dan points out in his book, it's called The Synchrony Effect. And Dan will share tips on how to align the right type of task with the right time of day for your chronotype. All this and much, much more. But before I get to Dan, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. So thanks. All right, let's jump into it with Dan. Andy, Paul, thanks for having me. Hey, my pleasure. My pleasure. So we're here to talk about uh, your latest book, When? The Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing. And is there such a thing? Perfect timing, no. Better timing, absolutely. And the way to have better timing is to recognize that timing is not an art, it's a science. And unfortunately, whether we're salespeople, sales managers, whatever our profession is, we tend to make our timing decisions based on intuition and guesswork, or really, in most cases, really by default. Tradition. And that's the wrong way to do it. We should be making it based on evidence, data, yeah, but well, uh, oral tradition in sales, almost more than anything else, still seems to carry the day. So, so you wrote that what ultimately matters is the type of task and how t- how task and time align, and and you called what you talked about what you called the synchrony effect. So, explain what that means right. to people. Sure. Let me take one step back though and just say sure. this. So, what we know. So, we, when we think about timing, there are different aspects of timing. So, there's timing over the course of the day. There's timing over the course of a lifetime, over the course of a project, over the course of a career, et cetera, et cetera. And so, so, so a lot of this research, uh, so, so what I wrote about is really built on this wide array of research from multiple fields mm-hmm. about timing. So it's not, so it's research in social psychology, it's in economics, but it's also in chronobiology, molecular biology, endocrinology. And so all this vast research gives us some clues about how to make timing essentially our ally rather than our, our enemy. Now, when we talk about the unit of the day, which is what we're talking about here, right. the most important thing to keep in mind is the following. The, most, the biggest idea is this. Our brain power, our cognitive abilities do not remain static over the course of the day. They change. They change in material ways. They change in predictable ways. Uh, and the right time to do something depends on what we're doing. And that's what you're talking. That's when you refer to synchrony effect. That's what it is. So, if we know our brain power is going to change over the course of the day, and we know that sometimes a day are better than others depending on the task, how do we proceed? And synchrony effect is how do we line up our, it's called our chronotype, um, our type, with our 
what we're doing or a task mm-hmm. with our time. And that's what that is. How do you bring those three things, type, task, and time, into alignment? Yeah, I thought an interesting tidbit you had in the book is that, especially for old guys like me, is that uh, you know, some of these like memory issues are really more a function of the, the synchrony, right? There are some very interesting, that's, um, I, I, it's interesting you, you, you point that out. There's some very interesting research showing that um, particularly, I mean, you're not, you're not that old. Um, <laughs> You'd be surprised. <laughs> you're, not that much older, you're not that much older than I am, although I, I know a little bit about you, so I know that you are a little older than okay. I am. But regardless, here's the point, um, that, um, um, that if you actually do, in certain populations, if you, if you take, like, say, memory, let's, let's use the, the concept right. of memory, Often used as a proxy for cognitive decline, a proxy, uh, right. you know, maybe a, a harbinger of uh, dementia and whatnot. Uh, that a lot of the effects uh, that when so older people um, do memory tasks um, in the morning, they basically perform like younger people. And when they do, it's really when they're doing the memory tasks in the afternoon where there's a deterioration. Uh, and the thing is, is like that's true of a lot of us in a lot of different domains. So mm-hmm. if you look at performance over, over time, I mean, there's so much evidence of this. So if you look at like healthcare, um, doctors make uh, anesthesia errors are four times as likely at 3 p.m. as they are at 9 a.m. Yeah, when, uh, I read, when I read that section, I was like, yeah. if I ever go in the hospital again, and I, I'm fortunate, I've had a couple of surgeries, they were first thing in the morning, and I thought, oh, that's good. Good, that's how you do it. Uh, colonoscopies, because everybody likes to talk about those. Doctors find half as many polyps in afternoon exams as they do in morning exams. So all of this is, you know, the, the, the idea, and you see this in so many different domains, Andy, as you know, as you know from the book, you see it in, in, in how people assess their mood, but you see it very, very clearly in, in, in performance. And it's performance not only in one thing, but it's performance in a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So the differences in performance at the corporate level based on time of day. You see some pretty dramatic differences in education performance over the course of a day. Well, we've got all different- this conversation going on now about start times for high schoolers. Uh, absolutely. Amen. You, you see different performances by, by judges and juries based on time of day, by healthcare providers based on time of day. Essentially, every domain of life, again, our brain power changes over the course of the day. So what you want to do, what one wants to do, uh, is to find, do the right stuff at the right time. All right, and, and it's actually a fairly systematic way to get that done. All right. So let's describe. So there's a, yeah, people can picture this in their minds. There's, you wake up and there's, you serve on this, this peak till about 11 in the morning, it looks like, right? Sort of an increasing. Well, it depends on, it de- well, depends on your chronotype, with- right? Exactly. So let's talk about, let's talk about that first. Okay. Let's talk about the chronotype. Chronotype is, is basically, it, it's a word out of this entire field of chronobiologists, uh, chronobiology, uh, which is, you know, chronotime, right. um, biological study of life. So it's study of biological rhythms. The, um, the last year's um, Nobel Prize in medicine was awarded to three chronobiologists to help understand our circadian and other kinds of rhythms, how they affect um, you know, who we are, how we right. do things. Um, and so what we know about this, some of us are morning people, some of us are eating people, most of us are in between. So about 15% of us are very strong uh, larks, morning people. About right. 20% of us are very strong owls, evening people. And about two-thirds of us are in between, what I call third birds. So right. what you have to do is you have to identify where you are in that. And, and, you know, and if you break that down, about 80%, basically think of it like this. Are you an owl or not an owl? Uh, owls are much more complicated than the rest of us. So about 80% of us, as you say, move through the day in that order. Peak, trough, recovery. Peak early in the day, trough in the middle of the day, recovery 
later in the day. But looking at the graphs in your book, though, it seemed like that peak was sort of like right before noon. Yeah, it's going to vary from person to person. I mean, those are large, like a lot of those charts uh, represent basically this a compilation of a large a large population right and so so for so how it's going to operate for each individual there's going to be there's going to be some variance there. Sure. But, in, but what we know is like a design principle peak for most of us peak early in the day you know generally the morning mm-hmm. um i don't want someone who's in their peak to stop working at, at 12 15 <laughs> because andy told them to um the um the you peak early in the day and then uh, this trough period uh, in the middle of the day, and then a recovery later in the day. Now, owls, those of us with late chronotypes, while well, we tend to hit, the most important thing for them is they go kind of sort of in the reverse order, recovery, trough, peak. Uh, but the main thing for them is, is um, their peak is much later in the day, late, you know, afternoon, late afternoon, early evening, mid-evening, even late evening. Right, and you gave the example of an author who basically start work at like midnight and then wrote through the night. I don't know how anybody does that, but I'm not an owl. <laughs> I'm not either. So I was trying to figure out, I think I'm the three bird. Um, yeah, you probably, I mean, the odds are that you are because two thirds of us are that way, but we can figure out your concept right now. We want to do that. Sure. Let's do it. There's a very, there's a back of the envelope way to do this. Now okay. there are for your listeners, you can go online and find something called the MCTQ, the Munich chronotype questionnaire. You can find something called the MEQ, the Morning Eveningness Questionnaire. Um, those are classic kind of psychological instruments where you ask, you answer a number of questions, and they give you rain. But there's actually a very pretty accurate back of the envelope way we can do with you. Sure. I want you to you think about this. So I want you to think about what chronobiologists call a free day. A free day, and that's important. A free day is a day where you don't have to wake up to an alarm clock. Mm-hmm. Wake up to an alarm clock. You know, the beast. You know, like like this morning, I had to wake up to an alarm clock because I had to take my 15 year old son somewhere right. at eight o'clock. Okay, so I had to get up when I didn't really want to get up. So not when you have to wake up to an alarm clock, but also not when you're massively sleep deprived and you're trying to catch up on sleep. Mm-hmm. So you just like go to sleep when you want. You can wake up when you want. Just answering uh, whatever your body is basically telling sure. you to do. So on those kinds of days, Andy, those free days, sure. What time would you typically go to sleep? 11. 11, okay. And what time would you typically wake up? Between 5 and 6. 5 and 6. Let's say 6, just to okay. make it easier. Okay, so so what we're doing here is we're figuring out your midpoint of sleep. Your midpoint of sleep. So if your midpoint of sleep, so if you go to sleep at, if you go to sleep at 11 and wake up at 6, your midpoint of sleep is oh, 2.30. 2:30. Yeah. Okay, so here's what we know. If your midpoint of sleep is... Three thirty is earlier than three thirty. You're probably a lark, so that, you're pretty lucky. Oh, okay. Um, um, if that makes sense to you, sure. I mean, okay. So if your midpoint of sleep is between three thirty and five thirty a.m., you're probably um, you're probably a uh, uh, third bird. Third and bird, if your right. midpoint of sleep is after five thirty, you're probably an owl. So again, if you're before three thirty, if your midpoint is before three thirty, lark. After five thirty, owl. In between five thirty and three thirty, you're probably oh, okay. third. yeah. I'm so that, that's actually pretty lucky. Yeah, um, makes sense. So um, and so, what this means is that um, so you Andy are going to go through the day peak trough recovery, and for you, your peak is probably going to be begin a little earlier than than say my peak. So I'm 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 in the middle, but lean a little bit toward the lark side. Uh, so for me, what time do you typically get to work? Like start working, start your work today. 
about eight. Eight. Okay. See, for me, I'm like closer to nine. Yeah. Right? And so that sort of makes that that sort of makes sense. So anyway, uh, so here's what. So so what we got? We got our type. All right. Are you a, if you're a lark or a third bird? Peak trough recovery. Right. If you're an owl, much more complicated. Your your peak is later in the day. Now, um, here's what we know about each of those three stages. One, the peak. Again, for most of us, early in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, that's here's the key thing about the peak. That's when we're highest in what in vigilance. Vigilance. That's the the big op- That's the big thing here. Vigilance. When we're vigilant, we're able to bat away distractions. Mm-hmm. We're able to lock down focus. So that so the peak is the best time for analytic work. Work that requires heads down, focus, attention, analyzing data, um, preparing a spreadsheet, uh, writing um, those kinds of things that require that intense, undistracted focus. So During it, the trough, is it yeah, fo- is it focus more than analytical? So I mean, creative works as well. Then, well, it's both. Okay, right. this it's actually more analytical. Okay? okay, it's things that require good, very good question. Things that require kind of focused thinking. All right, so. Um, when you're trying to brainstorm, for instance, you don't want focused thinking. Right. All right. So if you're brainstorming, hey, what if we did this? What if we did that? That's not focused thinking. That's much more expansive thinking. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and so, so that focused thinking. Now, if you think about something, now the border between what's an analytic task and what's an insight task, that's not a perfectly demarcated right. border. No, like demilitarized zone. You know, right in between to say, here's this and here's this. Things are mushier than that. Um, but um, uh, so, for instance, I'll give you an example of uh, like, like writing. OK, we think of writing as a quote unquote creative task. And at some level it is. But, uh, you know, and, and, and I'm a writer. Uh, sure. A lot of writing is basically about making the words march in order. And right. for writers, any writer knows the greatest enemy of writing is distraction. Mm-hmm. And so when, uh, writers are anybody who writes are easily distracted at some level, the whole world is, is organizing itself to distract you when you're trying to write something. Right. So you want to be, do your writing when you're highest in vigilance, when you're able to bat away distractions most easily. And so that is the, so that is, that's during our peak, which for most of us is early in the day during the trough, um, which for most of us is, you know, early afternoon, mid afternoon, that's a very bad time of day. Um, there are all kinds of drops in performance during that, 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 that time. And so you're better off then doing your administrative work, work that doesn't require massive focused thinking or massive creative thinking. Uh, you know, answering your routine emails or... Uh, doing your expense reports, today. updating CRM. Exactly. Those, exactly those kinds of things. Right. I was trying to think what I had to do. So, so like, like for me, it's like um, um, when I looked at my list for... Um, um, uh, not yet. Uh, doesn't matter, but not yesterday, but the day before, um, I had, you know, I had a bunch of receipts, so I got to send in some receipts to right. get reimbursed for stuff. I had a few contracts to sign. I had some email that I hadn't gotten back to that kind of stuff. All right. Recovery. Recovery is a very interesting time of day. Again, for the 80% of us who are not owls when, during the recovery period, our mood goes back up. Our mood is pretty hot but we're less vigilant. And this is going to, to, to your earlier point. So that combination of in, enhanced mood and less vigilance makes it a good time for that more purely creative stuff. So instead of saying, boy, I have to write 500 words, you can say, hmm, what would be a cool title for this a headline for this article mm-hmm. that I'm writing? Mm-hmm. Hmm, what would be a groovy thing that we could do marketing? Hmm, let me get... Andy and three cool people on the line and let's brainstorm ideas for a new name of this product that we're launching. Right. That, 
that kind of thing that requires, you know, loose, like some kind of looseness. Again, not to beat this horse too severely, right. but, you know, when, when you're brainstorming, you don't want people being hypervigilant. Like, like you've been in brainstorming sessions where people are like, that's a crappy idea. That's a bad idea. That's not a useful brainstorming right. session. You want people who are, who are a little bit looser. And that's basically it in this extraordinarily long and tortured explanation. What you want is you want to do your, <laughs> you want to do your analytic work, the heads down focused work during the peak. You want to do your administrative work during the trough. And you want to do your insight, creative insight work. That's what those sure. psychologists call insight problems during the recovery. And that's it. That's, well, that's now, now, those are the design guidelines, uh, design principles. People have to experiment, you know, day by day about what's going to work for them. Like, like for me, I don't, I don't do very good work after 8 p.m. So you want to invite right. me to a brainstorming session at 830. I'm not going to be very good. I'm not going to be very useful. You want me to invite me to a brainstorming session at, at six. I'll probably be in pretty good shape. All right, I'm putting that on my calendar. Um, so it's interesting when I think about that because when I think about sales, and you know, only done it for four decades, so I'm still learning. But the it almost seems like if you want to have best sales conversations, you want to do that in the rebound period because you're being open-minded, you're listening. Maybe your curiosity is a little more peaked than it is in the morning when you're more analytic. Yet, I can guarantee you that 99.9% .9 of sales organizations force their salespeople to do their calls between 9 and 11 in the morning. Yeah, that's not always a terrible idea. Okay. And I'll explain why. Sure. And, but you actually raise an even more important point right there. You raise a, an even more important point embedded in there. All right. Probably like one of the biggest points, I think, going on in business today. So let me bracket that for now, and we'll move to the specific point. Okay. So... What we know from a lot of research, and you know, especially research from um, um, certain kinds of judicial decision making, is this: when people make decisions, particularly when they're decisions that are reasonably binary, yes, no. Mm -hmm. Think about a yes, no decision, and that's what a sales call is. I'm coming to you. Are you in or are you out? Do you want to buy or do you not? Do you want to sign on the line that is dotted or kick me out of the office? All right. That well, is the potentially, but yeah, we'll get back to that. I think. Okay. Okay. Keep, okay. Good. 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 Uh, that's a, no. This is a very good point because some sales processes are much, 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 much yeah, longer. If it's a transactional right. call, absolutely. Yeah. Right. 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 Okay. So, um, um, what um, when people come into a transaction, when when people come into a decision like that, when they have to make a decision, they, the, in the back pocket is a default decision, right? They, they have a default. And the default is usually no. Right. So the question is, when are people likely to overcome the default? And what some of the research shows is that people are slightly, I don't want to go crazy here, mm -hmm. slightly more likely to overcome the default when you when early in the day and immediately after breaks. Early in the day and immediately after breaks. Okay. Now some of some of it, some of the earliness has to do with people's mood. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but um, 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 so their willingness to like move through things quickly and be in a good mood. Sometimes you get, okay, that sounds good. Go. Um, so early in the day and immediately after break. Now, I don't want to overstate this. What it, what it means, and I think salespeople can understand this very well, is that let's say that um, I have a, I go to you and I have a 7% chance of getting a yes from you in whatever I'm okay. pitching or whatever. All right. 
And let's say I pick the right time of day. Maybe I can notch that up to a 9% chance. I still got a 91% chance of failing. All right. <laughs> so this doesn't lock it down. But no. here's the thing is any good salesperson knows if you can get a two percentage point increase sure. in your take up rate over time, that's going to redound to your advantage. And right. so that's what it shows there. So, 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 so talk to me. So, so, um, but let's talk about uh, things that are less transactional. Tell, give me your, give me your feedback on that. Well, I think if you're dealing with the sale, I think you're, I think you're on the right, I think you're on the, you know, I think your instincts are quite good. Yeah. I mean, anything with more complexity, right. Where it's not just a transactional sale in and out. I mean, a cold call on the beginning of a complex sale is that more sort of yes, no initially. Um, but once you're past that point and you're in the process of, of communicating and trying to serve the buyer and, and help them get a better understanding of what their problems and challenges are and how you can help them, to me, that's, that's a really creative pursuit. Um, yeah, yeah. Now, it's interesting. It could be creative for you. I'm not sure. You, know, you have to make sure that it's also like also that they're being in a creative exactly. path is, is, is right for them. Right. Um, and, um, you know, one of the things that you, one of the things that you probably don't want to do is do a sales call at 2 PM because we know that that's basically the bottom of people's mood. Right. They're not focused. They're, they're, they're sleeping. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're distracted. It's like, I mean, here's the thing, like don't make a sales call at two in the afternoon. Don't have surgery at two in the afternoon. Yeah. I mean, to some extent, don't get in your car at two in the afternoon. If you look at the data on auto accidents, Obviously, the more auto accidents, the more cars there are on the road because there's exponentially more possibilities for collisions. Mm-hmm. But, but if you control for that, if you control for cars on the road, the most dangerous time to be on the road in America is 4 a.m. to 6 a.m. Second most dangerous time to be on the road in America is 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Um, so so now, why, again, why, the, why the first one? As, a, as an avid bike rider that's sometimes on the road at 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. Um, for 4 a.m., if you think about who's on, I, I think it's, I, I don't know, because we have correlations here. But you think maybe it's um, owls? But, 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 uh, um, I, no, I, I think that um, uh, someone, someone on the road at 4 a.m. might be drunk. Uh, someone oh. on the road at 4 a.m. can't see very well because it's pitch right. dark. I, yeah, that, again, I, what we have here is correlations. Sure. But so you can't say exactly, exactly why this is happening, but that would be my speculation. I mean, I, I mean the, the, the easiest, simplest explanation for why it's dangerous to be on the road at 4 a.m. is that it's blindingly dark and most people aren't fully awake then. So yeah. that makes it suboptimal. I've got big strobes on my bike, but, uh, but yeah. two, to four, two to four in the afternoon, absolutely. I stay off the road. Dude, I mean, <laughs> for sure. again, again, it's just, we're talking about, we're talking about like, pro, we're talking about probabilities here, yeah. but here's the point Andy, that, I, that I, that I wanted to make. Cause I think that, 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 um, Baked into your questions and your point of view is the most important point, which is this. We should be asking these questions, and we don't know for certain in every individual case what the right answer is. So what we need to be doing, whether we're salespeople, whether we are, um, no matter what our job is, is we should be acting a lot more like scientists. What do scientists do? Mm -hmm. Scientists have hypotheses, and they test hypotheses. And that's the way to go. So what I want people to do is take these principles, okay, which are true in the aggregate, but right. not going to be true in every instance for every person at every moment, and say, "Hey, wait a second! I'm this kind of sales per. I'm, I'm this kind of salesperson. Maybe when I'm doing, maybe it's maybe I maybe I'm better off talking to my prospects in this consultative sale 
at four in the afternoon rather than first thing in the morning when they're a little bit more expansive. The, the science is telling me that's probably the case. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to talk to one portion of my clients if not in this consultative, this particular stage of the sales process, let's say a purely consultative, I don't have the deal yet, but I'm still in this kind of, it's a consultative sale. Mm -hmm. It's a, a longer term, more complex sale. I'm at this particular stage. I'm going to do this stage at four o'clock with some prospects in this stage at nine o'clock with other prospects. And I'm going to pay attention and I'm going to see if there's a difference. And if there's no difference, I'm not going to sweat it. But if there is a difference, if I feel like I'm doing better and we're getting better work done at four, I'm going to keep doing that. And then I'm going to have another hypothesis. And my other hypothesis is going to be that, hey, in a cold call or something like that, or in a first encounter, people are more likely to overcome the default immediately, um, immediately uh, or early in the morning and immediately after break. So what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to get my assistant to try to figure out some of the break times for some of these prospects. And I'm going to try to reach out to them immediately after their breaks and see if that makes a difference. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, and that's what you do. You take the science, you take the principle, and then you act like a scientist yourself and test it. Yeah. I, I, I can't tell you how much I agree with that. I mean, I, I one of my, well, you were saying it. Yeah. I mean, that's what, that's what, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm basically, I'm basically <laughs> the voice. Of it. Well, I was I, saying like, like sort of baked into your questions was yeah. like, this is how we should do things. Yeah, one of my great frustrations in sales in general these days is over the last you know, five, ten years, the sales process has become so rigid, and you know it's all about metrics. You know, because now we have technology, because it's all this data, and and we don't give people this freedom to test and to you know find what works best for them. I mean, this is if you listen to anything I do or read anything I write, this is one I keep talking about: is how do we give people the uh, enable people to become the best version of themselves? And this is an example of, because the best version, as you talked about early on, and I'm a huge believer in this in, in sales, is that the margin of victory should be assumed to be 1%. You know, between you and somebody you beat for a deal. I mean, there's no way to quantify it, right? You can't say I'm 5% better, I'm 10% better. So assume it's 1%. So what are the 1% things you can work on? It's sort of like um, the guy who's the manager of the Sky Bicycle Team in the Tour de France. This whole thing is you know, the aggregation of marginal gains. How I can get 1% better and just position on the bike, the suits we wear, I mean, everything. And this, you know, our chronotype, and paying attention to that, is one of these things that could make us 1% better, and we just need to pay attention to it. Absolutely. And I also think that you, you, you actually have the accumulative effect because if you're always testing, you're getting you're getting that one percent improvement, one percent improvement, one percent improvement over and over again. It's not a it's not a one off because there are all kinds of things that you can do. And here's the thing: our friends in the marketing department actually are pretty good at this because, especially in the digital side, mm -hmm. uh, they do a lot of A/B tests, and that's all sure. that I'm talking about. I'm talking about you know A/B tests are, are are a powerful way to understand what's really going on. Absolutely. You talked about the oral tradition and storytelling and folklore. Yeah, in some level, folklore is a way to understand how things work and how things go along. For many kinds of professional endeavors, folklore can offer some guidance, but I'm not going to rely on it. I'm not going to rely. I'm, I'm not going to. I'm, I'm not going to rely. I'm going to rely less on a doctor steeped heavily in folklore than I am in a doctor knowing that she's read the latest medical journals, mm -hmm. which, which are full of random, random, randomized controlled trials about the particular ailment that I'm. That, that, that I'm that I'm facing. So our friends in marketing do A-B tests. We should be doing A-B tests, whatever our function is. Yeah. 
Well, I thought, and to that point about marketing, is, is when I was reading your book, then I stopped and went online and Googled, okay, what was, what's the optimal time of day or when, what, at what time of day do emails get open most frequently? And 11 a.m. Yeah, it depends though. It's, here's the thing: is like there's that's that's that at some level that's all over the place. What yeah. kind of emails? Emails from whom? Well, emails this, to whom? Yeah, variables you, know? you can't but, control. But, but that's, that was, a, that's a very easy listen. That's a very easy thing to. That's a very very easy thing to test. I have I have a I have an email newsletter. We A B test all kinds of stuff. Right. We A B test headlines because I want to serve my readers as best as I possibly can. Yep. And so I think I'm putting out good content. So, so you know, we we can we we once A/B tested on um, we once A/B tested on on length. Like, am I overwhelming people with too much information, or am I um, or am I um, giving people too too little? We tested different versions of it, and it turned out it made no difference at all. People just want good stuff. They'll take they'll, they they'll, they like good stuff. When it's short, they like good stuff. When it's long, it's so, okay. I'm not going to sweat that, this. Either that means that they didn't read past the short version. So yeah. <laughs> even yeah, on well, your long I'm emails. Not, not, well, no, because we can, no. But here's the thing: we there wait. You had links. See, it's, you had I, links. It's, I know exactly. Yes. So we can see. Did you click a link? Really? You know? Did you click a link at the at the bottom of this right. long one? And to our amazement, a lot of people did. Yeah. Um, so you know, again. We can have hypotheses about things. We can have hypotheses. Oh, everybody's so distracted. They only want short stuff. And you can test that hypothesis and say, well, my group of readers at this moment, maybe that's, maybe that's less true. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Well, so question, what, what's off topic now? Is, is, so what's your next book going to be about? I have no idea. You okay. got any ideas for me? Yeah, Curiosity. Curiosity. Okay. There are a few books on curiosity that are out there. I think it's it's, come out recently, but it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think it's a, um, I think it's a great point. I think it's a great topic. I think it's really interesting. And, and, um, I know that, that I look for that trait in both people I work with, but also people I'm friends with. Mm -hmm. So people who I'm friendly with, who have no work connection to me, I like hanging around curious people. I also like working with curious people because I think curious people, push things in a different direction, push things a little bit, push things right. a little bit harder. And I think that, you know, take a, a book like when that we just read is, is, you know, for the curious individual, the point we were talking about earlier is there's so many things to try in here, right? Just, oh yeah. As so. that, that it, people just have to do it. And absolutely. You know, it's one of the great, uh, I guess things that keeps me motivated in life is, you know, how do we convince salespeople to invest in trying new things to, um, not sell like we've done for the last 120 years, which is essentially what we're still doing. So, in many many cases, that's exactly that's exactly right. Even though, in my view, sales has changed more in the last 10 years than the previous 1,000. Yeah, but my view is less than people think. And Interesting. So, I mean, it's. But anyway, Dan, it's <laughs> it's been great talking to you. We could do this forever. Um, we'll have you back sometime. We'll talk again. I'd love to. So how can people get in touch with you? You can go to my website, www.danpink.com. Simple. All right. All kinds of great stuff there. Resources for free. An email newsletter that's free. Information about the books. I do a regular video called The Pink Cast. All kinds of stuff for the low, low price of nothing. Oh, love it. See? Perfect. All right, Dan, thank you very much. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Dan Pink, for sharing his insights with us today. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could also leave us a rating or a review and let us know how we're doing, well, we'd certainly appreciate that as well. You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this podcast is over. So thanks for your help. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.